Okay, I want to talk to you today about the extreme privilege we have of being able to come to God in prayer. Now, before we get started, really, I want to ask you a question, and I'm looking for some kind of response, a show of hands on this one. How many of you who have been a Christian for any length of time, whether it's just a matter of months or many, many years, how many of you would have to say that although you know that prayer is to be a part of our lives and that we are called to be men and women of prayer, how many of you, if you're being very honest, would have to say that a deep, intimate prayer life on a regular, consistent basis has been a bit of a struggle for you at times? How many people fit into that category? Well, for those who are listening on the podcast, that must be about 90% of people. Now look, one of the difficult things about this whole subject of prayer that I want to be talking about today is that many times it seems as if prayer, just praying, is a big enough goal all by itself. I mean, just carving out the time to pray on a regular basis, as we've seen by that show of hands, is a huge challenge for most of us. But I've got a serious concern this morning. I'm concerned that after I've finished, some of you might actually be committed to pray more. Some of you might actually be convicted about your prayer life and decide to be more structured and more organized and more disciplined with your praying. I'm worried that when we're done today, you might pack up, go home, and think that the end goal is just to pray. But listen, if your goal when you leave at the end of this meeting is simply to pray more, I will have failed badly. You see, that won't make you a whole lot different than Hindus or Muslims or Buddhists, or the millions of people who profess to be Christians but never really truly connect with God. See, most people in the world pray to someone or something at some point in their lives. Hindus pray, Muslims pray, Buddhists pray, even atheists often end up praying when things get really bad. It's like everybody prays. And so, if our goal is simply to become people of prayer, then controversial as it may sound, I'd suggest our goal is too small, is too superficial. If praying more is all we're targeting, then we run the risk of just becoming more religious. So the difference that I'm looking for today through this talk isn't that you'd feel obligated to pray more. What I'm looking for is that you would be committed to actually connecting with the living God through your praying. Not merely shouting words into a vacuum, but you hearing God, praying in accordance with his will, and seeing him respond with extraordinary power. And to show you what this looks like in practice, I want to take you to a pretty extraordinary prayer meeting way back in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible, maybe you'd like to turn to it. If you haven't got a Bible with you, the words should appear on the screens behind me in a few moments. While you're turning to it, though, let me just explain 
But despite appearances, this really is linked to our series on James, which we are going to conclude today. If you like, the famous story that we're told in 1 Kings provides something of the context, something of the background to what James writes in the final chapter of his letter. So what I want to do, really, for the bulk of this talk is get to grips with this story back in 1 Kings so you feel the full force of what James says when I read the passage to you right at the very end of this talk. Let's start reading in 1 Kings 18, verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. Told him what? Told him that Elijah had a message from God for him. Just to explain, three and a half years previously, Elijah had met up with Ahab and had passed on another message from God, the message that for three and a half years, or for as long as it took, and until Elijah came and spoke to Ahab again, there would be no rain whatsoever in the land. And then Elijah kind of went into hiding, went underground, and no one could find him. And Ahab was desperately trying to connect with him and, and get him to kind of make the rain come again, but Elijah was nowhere to be seen. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him that, that now Elijah wanted to meet up with him. And so, not surprisingly, Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I haven't made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me here on Mount Carmel uh, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets there on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Look, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, you follow him. The people said nothing. And Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two balls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let them cut it up into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. I'll prepare the other ball, and I'll put that on the wood, but I won't set fire to it either. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but but don't light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning all the way through until noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. So they danced around the altar they had made. At noon... Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he suggested, helpfully. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they took his advice and shouted louder and even slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. 
they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. You know, the world is full of people who are praying today. But they pray under the guise of many different religions, many different belief systems. And there are millions, millions of people who claim to be Christians, are all praying and meeting the same end response that we see here in this passage with these people praying to Baal. They, they cry out to their God. They pray to him. They, they do whatever they think will get their God's attention. But there's no response. It's as though no one answers. It's nothing but silence. And so, as I've shared already, my concern for us today is that we'd simply make it our goal to pray and end up allowing ourselves to live in a kind of hollow religion that fails to believe that when we pray, God actually hears us. And not only does he hear, but he also answers our prayers. And not only does he answer, but he also wants to lead us into greater intimacy and far more power. You see, the difference with a real genuine follower of Jesus Christ isn't just that you pray. The difference is that God speaks and you obey his voice and that God hears you and he answers your prayers. There is a radical difference between one who knows God and one who's merely searching for God. There is a huge difference between one who connects with God and one who just cries out to God. Certainly what we see when we look at what happens when Elijah breaks into this pretty astonishing prayer meeting in 1 Kings 18. Now, if you want to look at who was really very fervent in their prayer, surely as we read this passage, it was the prophets of Baal. I mean, they shouted and they danced. They even slashed their bodies trying to get their God's attention. And Elijah, I love this, he taunts them. He says, shout loud, I don't know, perhaps your God's deep in thought, contemplating the deeper mysteries of the universe, or, or maybe he's traveling somewhere. Now, if that's what it says in your translation, uh, that's a much softer version of what Elijah was actually saying. The, the literal translation of what he's saying is, perhaps your God is on the toilet. It's like, when a God's got to go, he just has to go. And if you desperately need him at that moment when he's on the toilet, well, it's just bad luck. I wonder how many of us here today would have to be honest enough to admit that when I pray, nothing much seems to happen. When I cry out to God, it's often as if he's silent, maybe even deaf. I wonder how many of us are here, and I could perhaps get you, coerce you to pray for five minutes a day, or 10 minutes a day, or 15 minutes a day, and establish a new kind of pattern and discipline in your prayer life. But the truth of the matter is, you've tried that before, and it felt empty for you. Now, I'm not standing in front of you as someone who has got this all very neatly wrapped up. I'm not going to try and make out that I'm really disciplined and I'm super structured and all you need to do is just look at me and follow my set pattern and everything will be wonderful and transformed in your prayer life. That's not where I'm going with this. What I want you to do is to look at Elijah and learn from him. 
You see, what we find when we look at Elijah is when a man connects with God and both hears his voice and obeys him, invariably he gets God to act powerfully. Let's read on, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was left in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with these stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, I want you to fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. They did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, as I guess they would, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and he looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Maybe with growing desperation, go back, go back, go back. Seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, I wonder this morning, follow that, I wonder this morning if, if you're at that place in your life where, like Elijah, you regularly hear God speak and God keeps on speaking to you those sorts of pretty profound things because you are so ready to obey him. You know, 
Jesus says of himself in John 10, verse 3, the watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Is God's desire, is God's longing, is God's deep intention for you and for me to enter into such a relationship with him that his presence is undeniable and continuous. And his voice is this real to us. And he guides us every day like a shepherd guides his sheep. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The difference with a follower of Jesus isn't simply that we pray. It's that we hear God when he speaks to us and that we obey him when he tells us what to do. That's what it means to be in relationship with God. That's what a life of faith really looks like. That's what it means to genuinely pray. Let's listen again to what Elijah says in verse 36. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all the things at your command. Saying earlier about the Lord commanding our destiny. People responded saying, you command my life. What the world's looking for isn't simply people who pray, but people who, when they pray, somehow hear from God, and when they do, they simply do what he says. The best evidence that you're a person of prayer is that you do what God says when you hear it. I want to ask you, Are you willing to become that kind of a man or woman of prayer? Are you willing for this? Now, I guess there are probably some of you here today who are thinking, but I've never heard God speak. What does it actually sound like? How do I know it's God? Reality is, all of us have heard God speak. It's just we haven't always recognized it as him or perhaps wanted to believe it. For starters, whenever we pick up the Bible and read it, we are reading God's word to us. So if the Bible says, don't lie, or if the Bible says, don't steal, or if the Bible says, don't gossip, or if the Bible says, don't have sex outside of marriage, Or if the Bible says, don't hold on to a grudge against someone else. If the Bible says, be quick to forgive. If the Bible says, don't let your heart become bitter. If the Bible says, encourage others. If the Bible says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. If the Bible says that, and it does, then that is God speaking directly to you. You know, God not only speaks through the Bible. 
He also speaks through our conscience. I wonder, have you ever felt that doing something was wrong? That's God speaking to you. Or have you ever felt challenged about the way you live as you've been listening to someone preach? The chances are, that is God speaking to you as well. We really mustn't take this for granted. It's amazing. The creator of the entire universe taking the time to address us personally. God does speak to us. We've all heard his voice in some way. In Hebrews 3, 7, the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In fact, what we're told in Hebrews is that when God speaks to us, if we don't obey, our hearts become hardened and our ears become dull of hearing. But every time we do listen and obey his voice, our hearts become more tender and our ears become more trained, more attuned to the sound of his voice. So those of you who are perhaps thinking, well, I just don't get what it means for God to speak to me in this personal, intimate, life-changing way. It may be that God's spoken to you and spoken to you and spoken to you about many things in your life. It could be he's spoken to you about asking your wife for forgiveness. It could have been about going back and putting some of your relationships right. It could have been about going out and sharing your faith with others. It could have been about giving sacrificially. I don't know what God's spoken to you about, but I know this. If God has spoken to you in your life, and you didn't treat his voice as sacred, if you didn't hear him and obey him, then then your heart at that moment became just a little bit more hardened, and your ears became just ever so slightly more dull of hearing. And if you do that long enough, it's as though eventually you become deaf to God. You start to think he's silent, when actually your ears are closed. The extreme privilege of prayer is that it's a two-way thing. It isn't just you speaking. You can also hear the voice of God and live a life of obedience to him. It's also that God hears what you say and he answers you. You know, I want you to catch today something of this awesome opportunity that prayer gives us. I don't want you to see prayer as burdensome or something you ought to do more of. If only I could just pray for five minutes a day and I feel condemned if I don't, so I'll try, but it's dead to me. I want you to see it as an unbelievable privilege. I want you to see it as absolutely vital, absolutely crucial, absolutely essential. A wonderful gift. I love what Elijah says next. I want to catch Elijah's unbelievably long prayer. Verse 7, he says, all these people watching, expecting, wondering where the fire is going to come from heaven. All this water has been poured over the sacrifice. I mean, the stakes are high. If he doesn't come through, or if God doesn't come through, he probably knows he's going to be slaughtered there and then. Here's his prayer. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. 
So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Amen. That's all he says. I think if it's me, I might have rambled on a little longer, trying to build up the hope in myself, the faith, the confidence in myself, that maybe something might happen, or I might have kept praying whilst backing off slightly, hoping they all had their eyes closed and I'd do a runner. That's all Elijah says. You see, Elijah was a man who lived in the presence of God. It wasn't one of those segmented things where he tried to fit a quiet time into his otherwise busy schedule every now and again. I think he probably woke up in the morning talking to God, listening to God, living with God. I think he went to bed listening and talking, still living with God. Paul in the New Testament, he puts it like this. He says, pray without ceasing. That means continuously, all the time in absolutely every situation you face, non-stop throughout the whole day, pray without ceasing. I think that's how Elijah lived. So out of the confidence of living in the presence of God, he calls everyone to gather around. Get close, he says. You've seen them pray, talking about the prophets of Baal. You've seen the power or lack of power of their prayers. Now I want you to see the power of my prayer. First of all, I want you to understand that I'm not initiating this whole thing. God started it. And I'm simply doing what he commanded. But now what I want you to see is that God kind of loves me and listens to me when I pray. And so I'm going to offer up this small public prayer that's undergirded by a life of intimacy with God. And when I pray this prayer, God is going to act. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This is the end result of true, biblical, God-connected prayer. That people fall on their faces and say, Your God is the one true living God. They long for that to happen. Wouldn't you love to see this? Wouldn't that even be mildly exciting to some of you? You want to see this? I think probably, despite the lack of enthusiasm, I think probably some of you do. So I don't want you to leave here today merely saying, I'm going to pray more. I don't want you to simply leave here today saying, I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to be more organized. I'm going to commit to my five minutes a day. No. I want you to leave this place today saying, I have the privilege as a child of God to be connected to the creator of the entire universe. And I can and I will hear his voice. And I will do what he says when he says it to me. And I'll know that when I cry out to him, I have the power and privilege to know he will answer me. That's what I'm after. 
And more importantly, that's what I think God's after too. You know, we live in a time when the religions of the world live side by side, especially in a city like this one, that, that they're interconnecting. That there are people all over the world praying today. The question is, when they look at us, when they see us, will they see the one true God in our midst? That's by way of an aside. I, I love the way this description comes here in verse 36. It says, At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. I think this is just about the best description of being the kind of person who prays to God and, and sees God answer. You see, I think for a lot of us, when it's the time of sacrifice, for whatever reason, we don't step forward and pray. Maybe when we realize that our lives might be on the line, we don't step forward and pray. When we realize we might be humiliated or embarrassed if God doesn't come through and answer, at those times, we don't step forward and pray. When we have to go public, when it's time to step up, when it's time to sacrifice, when it's time to put up or shut up, what so many of us are tempted to do at that moment is shut up. When there's sacrifice involved, a lot of us are reluctant to step up and pray. But in this room right now, I believe there are a whole bunch of people who God is calling out to, God is grabbing your attention, who at the time of sacrifice, from this point on, you will step forward and pray. I want to tell you something. Faithless, heartless, gutless, riskless prayer is always less, 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 less than what God wants for us. What God wants is the kind of prayer that says, God, I will pray no prayer where I'm not willing to step forward and potentially be your solution to this problem. I will pray no prayer from this moment on except where I'm willing to be the solution to the problems I see. So I will step forward at the time of sacrifice. I've learned the hard way, the painful way. The sacrifice is always the context for seeing miracles. We all want to see the fire fall from heaven, don't we? Because we all long to see more miracles, more signs and wonders, more healings. We, we pray for the day when it isn't just the tens saved, but the hundreds and the thousands flocking into the kingdom of God. We, we, we long to see some of those prophecies fulfilled. Jesus, the most talked about person in this city. That the church here, a national exhibition center for the display of God's glory. We long for that. No, we're not so keen on stepping forward in the time of sacrifice. Stepping forward, maybe when it means sacrificing food so we can pray and fast. Stepping forward when it means sacrificing time that perhaps we'd earmark for something else. Stepping forward when our reputation may be at stake if nothing happens. So you've got a decision to make. It's up to you. You can make Christianity just like every other world religion. We pray and pray and pray. God never speaks. We never obey. 
Or we can step into the intimate presence of the Creator God through Jesus Christ and believe that He speaks today. And we can choose to treasure His words with obedience. And we can know that when we, in the time of sacrifice, step forward and pray, that we can pray publicly or privately with confidence and that God will bring the fire down from heaven. Don't know about you, I'm sick and tired of people thinking that Christianity is just another religion. It's time for a revolution where where we become true followers of Jesus Christ and prove that the Lord is God. I want to read these words to you from James 5. I'm not going to preach a sermon on them. I'm going to read them, then we'll finish. Verse 16. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. doesn't mean the prayer of a perfect person. doesn't mean that we have to be righteous by ourselves. It's talking about a person that humbly acknowledges the only way they're ever going to be considered righteous and right and good, sinless, is through Jesus Christ his work for us on the cross. He's talking about someone that humbles themselves before God, acknowledges their need for salvation, receives salvation from him, just pours out their heart to him. When you do that, James says, that is powerful and that is effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I want to ask you, do you want to be a man or a woman just like Elijah? 